All right, hey, so we're going to continue in. Good morning, everybody, first of all. Hope you're doing well. Uh, We're going to keep on going through our series in the Psalms of Ascent, Coming Home, A Place for Anybody. So we're going to be in Psalm 125 uh, today, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And as you turn there, I I just would love to get you thinking about what's your favorite story? Uh, Your favorite story, whether it's a, a book or a movie or a podcast series or a documentary, whatever, like, like what's, can you think of a story that kind of grips your mind? Like, like when I think of a story, uh, someone says like, like what's a good story for whatever reason in my mind, I picture Bilbo Baggins grabbing his walking stick and putting on his pack to get ready to go out. Right. So, because I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd, uh, but we all have stories, right? Uh, like if you ask my daughter, her favorite story is Frozen, or she'll just say Elsa, which is the shorthand for Frozen. Uh, but you know, maybe it's Star Wars. No amens there. Thought maybe to get one. Uh, let me keep trying. Harry Potter. A few of those. Even a woo. That was great. Uh, what about Encanto? Anybody seen the new Encanto on Disney Plus? It's fantastic. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it then watch it. It's, you know, still your aunt's Disney Plus or whatever. It's 2022. All right, just watch Encanto. It's so good. It's great. But, uh, you know, my favorite all-time story is Lord of the Rings. Like, to me, that's just the, like, top of the mountain uh, story. Uh, We all have stories, but there's one thing that every story you think of, whether it's, you know, like I said, a movie, whatever, um, has in common, and it's a journey. Every story is centered around someone or a group of people or something on a journey of sorts. Uh, there, there's a, um, a book called uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces. by He's a professor of mythology. Uh, his name is Joseph Campbell, and he wrote about the idea of a monomyth, meaning like every great story or myth dating back from like early, early civilizations to today, uh, all journeys and stories kind of have the same kind of outline or flow to it, all right? So you have like the hero or the, the heroine of the story, uh, they leave home, they embark on, on a journey, uh, you know, whether they're made to leave or, or forced to leave or called by some great, you know, higher power, or whatever. So they leave home uh, and pretty quickly they hit a wall. Or they, and they, they have like a descent, right? You know, like they're thrown in jail or they die or something happens, right? They're put in captivity, whatever. And then uh, there's like miraculous salvation, right? Like either from an outside source or, or you know, from, you know, just kind of unexpected events or another character that you haven't seen for a while comes in and they, they save the person. And then that hero keeps going on through the story and they take that salvation to someone else and then eventually they return home, right? Like if you're thinking that's like every Marvel movie that's ever been created, you know, like if you've watched through those, any story, like that's kind of the basic outline of the Odyssey, the Iliad, all of those stories, kind of around that same, the monomyth. And for us, stories and journeys, they resonate with all of us because we, we love a good story. Uh, we love going on a journey. Most of us probably think or say in everyday language, we don't think about it, say, yeah, that's just the journey I'm on right now right? Or like this journey of life, or I'm headed here, I'm headed in this direction, headed towards this destination. There's something in us, hardwired in us, where journey and stories and things like that make sense. And, you know, as I was kind of given that outline of the story, you maybe even, you know, if you grew up in church or you're familiar with the Bible, uh, even stories throughout the Bible are like that, right? Like you got a guy named Abraham, who, who out of nowhere God calls and he says, hey, go to this land that I'm going to show you when you get there. And, and then, you know, 
chapters in Genesis is this journey that Abraham's on. And then he, you know, his sons and his families go on from there. And then you have, you know, the story of the Exodus and Moses leading out of there. And then uh, what's interesting is that the Psalms pick up right where great stories pick up. Uh, because the Psalms, they, they give, if you've ever read through them, uh, you know, in your Bible, you'll see that there's labeled like book one, book two, book three, stuff like that. And they're, they're laid out on purpose the way that they are because they tell a story. Uh, there, there's a great Bible nerd uh, book called uh, The Spirituality of the Psalms, written by, he's a pastor and theologian, uh, Walter Bridgman. And he talks about um, the, the Psalms kind of have a journey that they lay out that everybody is on in a, in a spiritual journey. Uh, every human's on, especially those who are seeking God. Uh, he, he says that there's kind of three signposts of the spiritual journey that we see in the Psalms. Uh, sometimes, when I say the Psalms, I mean sometimes like the entire book of Psalms, portions of the Psalms, but also individual Psalms. Uh, they were written as a songbook or a prayer book to help God's people go through this, the journey of, of moving closer and closer to God until we eventually see him face to face. And, and here's the, 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 kind of three, um, the kind of three stages or signposts. Andrew said we're going to talk about signposts of the spiritual life. It's, it's orientation, disorientation, and then new orientation. All right, we're going to, we're going to get to that. Uh, in just a little bit, but, and I bring it up because we're talking about the Psalms, we're talking about the Old Testament, but also, uh, let's not forget that Jesus, uh, whenever we place our faith in him and he calls us, he calls us to go on a journey, right? What's the f- things he said to some of the earliest disciples? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what he's telling them is, hey, follow me, that's, that's come close to me, walk with me, and then I will make you into something different. It's transformation. It's a journey of spiritual formation that he ultimately calls them on. Um, and, ulti- and for us, for anybody who follows Jesus, it's that Jesus is calling all of us on a journey uh, to, to, to be with him, to become like him, and to do what he did. All right, so, so with those three things in mind, orientation, disorientation, new orientation, um, and thinking about the journey that you're on, the journey following Jesus, um, has... If, Maybe some of you guys can relate to this. A lot of my time uh, as a Christian or as someone who's following Jesus, uh, it's been hard to kind of know where I am on the road, if that makes sense. Like, have you ever wondered and taken inventory of, like, how's it going following Jesus? Because for most of my life, if, 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 you know, if we're allowed to talk like this, for most of my life, growing up as a pastor's son, I was one of those weird guys that answered a call to ministry in high school and like right to Bible college and stuff like that. Um, most of my life, I just kind of thought that, you know, you, you get saved and then you just kind of do your best until you die. And then from there, hopefully it all kind of like sifts out well. You know, so like, like maybe that's not exactly how I'd say it, but that's kind of like the general idea I had. It was like, okay, I got saved. I'm just going to kind of do what it takes to not be considered a bad person and like have a good reputation or whatever. And then, and then when I die, that's when everything kind of finally, finally sorts out. And I just, I just want to hopefully encourage you that, that's, that there's just so much more life-giving content following Jesus than that. Like, it's, it's not just about getting saved and then just waiting your time, like buying your time. That's, that's not how we were called. We were called to go on a journey. Uh, because if we're honest, most of us, we're not waking up in the mornings thinking, man, it feels good to be like Jesus today. 
right? I mean, I'm not thinking that. Most of the time I'm waking up and I'm thinking, Jesus, please help me. Like, if, you know, if like, if you even can hear this prayer, I don't even know what time it is. I just hear a kid screaming, you know, like, I, like just please, Jesus, be present. Um, but there's seasons of life uh, that, we, that we go through. I mean, you know, um, for, for me being, you know, I've been a pa- in pastoral ministry for almost 10 years now. And for a long time, I kind of thought that there were just people who were really good at praying and being with Jesus. And then there were the rest of us. And I didn't know if it was actually possible on the journey following Jesus to know, am I growing? Am I not? Where am I on this road? And so the, the, the three signposts I gave, those are helpful for me. Those are helpful signposts for following Jesus, kind of being able to name where you are on the road. You know, if, if you like getting into really good, uh, like, nerdy Christian history and theology stuff, uh, this, this idea has been going on for, thou- for almost 2,000 years. It's called the stage theory of spiritual formation. dates back to St. John of the Cross in the 1500s, and then earlier that with Origen, some of the earliest church fathers talk about this idea. And, and what it is, it's kind of paradigms, like I said, for being able to name your, your stage of discipleship to Jesus. Because uh, if, you, if you were able to kind of track your spiritual growth, a lot of us mostly feels up and down, or it kind of felt like an up until you plateaued, and then it's kind of like, what's next? Am I just waiting until I meet Jesus face-to-face one day, or can there be more? And, and I want to encourage you as we're going through these Psalms of Ascent, as we're going through uh, the Bible each week, that they tell a story the, the, the Psalms do, these specific portions of the Psalms where the, the people of Israel were going back to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so they're slowly, slowly making their way back to, to Jerusalem and the temple where, where the presence of God dwelt on earth, where the God space and the human space intersected, and they make their way back there. And, and so the, the Psalms of Ascent, and this Psalm specifically kind of gives us the, those seasons, those signposts, all right? And, and so... Um, Talking about spiritual formation, I'm using a lot of words, but I just want to I just want to just give some caveats here, okay? For all of our like goal-oriented type A personalities, there's no formula to spiritual growth. All right, so so it's not like A plus B equals C, like and for those of us who like to set goals and work towards them, spiritual growth is not linear, which is a huge bummer, right? Because as soon as you think you're doing well, you you know step in some, and this is maybe confession time, but as soon as you think you're like, I'm close to Jesus, I'm doing great, I'm in a season of whatever you want to name it, closeness or abiding or prayer or, or whatever, uh, you step in some unidentified object that's mushy on the floor and you, and you lose your temper and get frustrated and your three-year-old daughter pats you on the back and says, Daddy, remember, love, joy, peace, <laughs> patience. And I'm like, why did we teach you things about the Bible? This is bad for me. So I, so I, I want to walk through this psalm, Psalm 125, and I, and I want to just see if, if we can name, if it'll help us kind of figure out where we are in our season, in our journey, our stage of following Jesus, okay? Are we, are we, are we there? Everybody with me? Okay, good. Good, all right. So let's read Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, 
to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to, to crooked ways, the Lord will banish the evildoers. Peace be on Jerusalem. Now, so the first two uh, verses of this psalm, it kind of gives us that first kind of signpost we talked about. All right, because you look, it shows these first two verses, it shows the confidence that God's people have in them. They can look around and they can see the, and recognize the signs of God's goodness and the presence in their lives. If you remember the psalm last week, um, it kind of ended with, with the people coming up. They're looking at the mountains surrounding Jerusalem, and, the, and they can just be kind of blown away by the goodness of God, that his presence is with them, his goodness is with them, his, his provision is with them. And so as they're walking up to Jerusalem, they said, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. It's just a great word image, you know? Like for us, uh, we drive around, you know, our beautiful town, and we can see different mountains all the time, you know? And so for them, like imagine, like one of my favorite views uh, is like when you're on uh, 40 here, and you're about to pass uh, 240, and you come around the top of the hill, and you can just see the Black Mountain Range. I mean, it's amazing, right? It's beautiful. And so we have these, these kind of home images in our mind uh, of you know, the landscape where we live. For, for the people of Jerusalem, they're headed back, and Jerusalem was on a hill, and, and Zion, where the temple sat, was kind of the, there, there were kind of two main hills in Jerusalem, and it was on the eastern side. So as they're walking up the road, they literally would have been able to see that, that mountain of the Lord. And for them... I mean, that would have just, just like triggered all kinds of memories of songs they sang, of stories they heard growing up and things. You know, mountains and God a lot of times had like came together in the story time of the Bible, right? Like, can you think of any, any of those times where God did something miraculous or met a human on a mountain? Yeah? All right, let's see how many Jesus points we can get today. Who can think of, a, who can think of an example for one Jesus point of God talking or doing something cool on a mountaintop? Ten Commandments, Transfiguration, that's a New Testament. Great job, Cheryl. Anybody else? Jesus point for you. What do we got? Anybody? A lot of them. Okay, (laughs) all right, we're saying a lot of good answers. But I mean, that was a big deal. I mean, even even Eden, the Garden of Eden, there was the world, God created the world, and then the images, he, he created this garden that sat, the rivers flowed down out of it, the Eden was a mountaintop where God space and human space came together, okay? Fred has this great theory. Uh, we were talking about it this morning. It's messed with my mind a little bit. And so uh, maybe this would be like a fun thing where uh, you can email Fred Wise wrong because I haven't been able to figure it out yet. But Fred, is a th- yeah, I won't get into it. No, I have to now. Okay, sorry. So the, the th- the, some of the oldest rivers in the world, of course, are the Tigris and Euphrates, right? Which flow out of the Garden of Eden, we know that. But you know what the third uh, oldest river in the world is, according to Fred? According to whoever you learned it from? It's the, the French Broad. All right, now I'm not saying, like, I don't want to talk about Pangea or anything like that. But maybe we live in a, in a you know, God's country. Anyways, all right. Any questions, email to fred at fellowshipashville.com. <laughs> Sorry, Fred, I didn't mean to go there today. Um, but, but so as they're walking up, they're seeing the mountain. You know, Mount Zion was God's chosen hill. That's where David established his throne. It carries that, that, that picture of Mount Zion. It goes all the way through Revelation where, where God says he's going to establish his temple, where he's going to rule. Isaiah says that Mount Zion's the place where Yahweh the God of Israel dwells, and it's the place where he's king. So for the Israelites to be coming back to that place, that for them 
Those first two verses in Psalm 125 give us a deep sense of being oriented close to God. For them, that's what it is. That's what, that's what in our spiritual journey for us, times of orientation are when we feel close to God. That doesn't necessarily mean that like everything's going like super well. Like a lot of times we feel closest to God when we're in times of suffering and pain and hurt. We're crying out to God the most. Uh, but that could also mean that, that things are just kind of going well in life and you can feel God's goodness in your heart. You can feel it. I mean, it's, it's like the times where um, you can just uh, feel close to God. So that's, that's the definition for orientation. Those of you taking notes, my notes got out of order here. Um, seasons of orientation are where we feel close to God, where we can accurately say that our burden in life is the same burden as Jesus, that it's light. And that it's, uh, um, I heard someone use this phrase to describe a season of being, of feeling close to God, and it's the, the, it's the phrase non-anxious. That you can be a non-anxious presence when you're living in a season where you're close to God, because you're non-anxious when you're close to God and the people around you, and you're curious about what God's teaching you from him and from the people around you. Um, but the problem is, despite uh, me being an optimist and all my fellow optimists would like to believe, is that life is not always easy, is it? Uh, it seems like there's like we have phrases about how good things come to pass, right? Uh, no, nothing good ever lasts, right? We're familiar with this idea of life, of journey of life, is that there are times of orientation where, like I said, no matter what life circumstances, good or bad, Life where we don't feel close to God, uh, where, where, where we're asking questions like, God, do you hear me? God, are you there? Um, there, there are times where we can, do, we can uh, think and, and relate to verse 3 of 125. Look what it says. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. The idea that the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land, that's, that's, they would hold a decree, hold their scepter over a person and tell them, you know, go and you know, do whatever. And so the idea is, for them, uh, Israel at this time, when this one was written, was most likely uh, in a season of captivity, either by Babylon or by Persia. And so as they're walking into Jerusalem, they're seeing, you know, little, like, army outposts or, or tax collectors taking their money that they farmed on their ancestral land and being sent back to this evil empire as, you know, the way that they saw it. And so as they're walking, they, and they say, so they would have felt a time of disorientation, a time where they wonder, like, God, is, is it always going to be like this? Like, will, like, if you've read the Psalms, you hear questions like this a lot, like, like why do the wicked flourish? Like, why do evildoers come out better than those who are righteous? Where it says, like, God, hear my prayer. Or, or earlier in the song, it says, God, don't cast me out in your anger. Like, please listen to my prayers. Listen to my cry. Time of disorientation is, is when uh, we can look at Psalm 3 and say, that makes sense, like, or 105, verse 3, and it makes sense because you say, it feels like we're kind of living in a land of evil. Maybe literally or maybe figuratively. Yeah, I mean, I mean maybe for, for a lot of us, we can't remember the last time we even sat down to pray, 
And that's not to shame you because there's seasons of life where we sit down to pray and we feel like it's not even making it through the ceiling. But we know, nonetheless, that God is there and, and, um, and we push through and we, and we seek him. Uh, St. John of the Cross, he wrote a, a poem. It's very long. It's been translated a lot. He wrote it in the 1500s, but it's called The Dark Night of the Soul. It's the idea that, man, I felt close to God. I felt his presence and his goodness. I felt like I could pray, and I was just like sitting in the room talking to him. And then next thing I know now, it's like, God, where are you? Like, are, are you there? It's, it's, it's spiritual dry. I heard somebody call it spiritual dizziness, and that feels really accurate sometimes. And, and maybe this is time where life can, can be hitting really hard and bad, or life can be really good, right? Jesus warned about that, right? What happens if you gain the whole world? but lose your soul. And, and maybe for us, we're saying, God, I'm not choosing those things. God, I've got everything I need, and I don't think I've lost my soul, but it sure does feel dry. It feels like a desert. It feels like evil is gonna win, right? Even in, in just my felt experience internally right now. Like, why is this happening to me? Why can't I shake this addiction? Why am I still doing blank when I hate it so much and it makes me feel terrible? For me, just very simply, a lot of times this is just staying up too late and not turning off Seinfeld and going to bed early so I can be a functioning human being in the morning, right? It doesn't even have to be some kind of heinous evil. It can just be simply just decisions that we've made that's taken us there. Uh, There there are kind of two two guys I think of that that have experienced disorientation in different seasons of life. There's one in Acts, a guy named Stephen, uh, where he is, uh, he preaches, and they take him and they stone him, right? Talk about, like, tough situation, tough going. As he's being stoned to death, what happens? The heavens open up and he sees Jesus, right? And he cries out. But then you get another guy, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, where things couldn't be going better, Right? And, and he's standing on top of his palace. And even though he was warned against, he stands on top of his palace like, look at this kingdom that I've done. I made this. I built this. Good job, me. And he gets turned into a beast. And he eats the dew of the grass and eats grass for seven years, which is crazy, right? But talk about disorientation. What's less human than becoming a beast, right? So, so we have these seasons. We have orientation. And, and I bring up those two illustrations to say that that life circumstances are not just, just kind of to reiterate the idea of, of spiritual growth and journeying following Jesus isn't linear, right? And it's not dependent on life circumstances. But the question becomes, so, so if you're in a season of disorientation, the question becomes, uh, what or who are we going to orient our lives around? Uh, notice in verse 4 and 5, it says, Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, but turn but, uh, but those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Now, it gives kind of two different options, two paths that we all face, right, when we're in times of disorientation or even times of orientation. Are we going to choose to orient our lives to journey the road of Jesus, the way of Jesus, or any other way, whatever you call it, the world, sin, flesh, whatever you want to call it. But those are the, the orientations that we're given. That, that's what we get. Um, you know, in Galatians, Paul talks about reaping what we sow. And there's kind of this, like, law of the universe that God put into order that, uh, you know, nowadays we, we have no regard for spiritual definitions and we just call it karma, you know, whatever. But, but we say, hey, you reap what you sow, right? 
Uh, Paul, Paul says that. Paul says in Galatians 6, he says that uh, those who sow in the flesh reap in the flesh. Those who sow in the spirit will reap righteousness and peace. Right? And so, so we all have an opportunity all the time to, to choose God or to choose anything else, even ourselves. And so in times of disorientation, that's the question. So, so if you're wondering, all right, how does this help get out of like the disorientation, to move towards a, a life that's marked with, as intimacy with Jesus or abiding or a life of prayer or a life of discipleship, what does it look like? Um, it looks like a long, I love Eugene Peterson calls it in his book about the Psalms of Ascent, he calls it a long obedience in the same direction. It's this idea of a path moving forward, this journey where you're constantly going. Anybody read The Pilgrim's Progress? Super weird. If you've ever been forced to read it in school or something, I get it. It's supposed to be good. I, I can't get into it. I've tried. But it's basically the idea of a pilgrim on this journey where he's trying to end up, you know, in the story, you know, with Jesus. And he goes through, you know, temptations and like a bog of slothfulness and all this stuff. It was written a long time ago while a guy was in jail. So it's like, it's kind of weird. But, um, but it's that same kind of word picture of a journey following Jesus, even in times of wild disorientation where you feel like God's nowhere near. You just kind of keep moving forward, reminding yourself of the goodness of God, taking God's word and, and, and putting it in your mind and your heart so that in times of doubt, you have the, the seeds there to, to sow righteousness. Uh, Glenn Packiam, he's a pastor and a writer in Colorado Springs. He said, the miracle of spiritual growth is not that we experience spontaneous virtue, but that we embody faithfulness. So hopefully that frees us up because uh, spiritual growth, orienting our lives around Jesus, following Jesus, it's not just like we get saved and then we do our best. The, the, a, a faithful Christian life is not marked by trying, it's marked by training. I mean, I mean Paul in... in um, in Romans chapter 12, he says this. He says, if I can find my notes here. I'm so sorry, I got, they got mixed up. Uh, but, he, but he says, uh, therefore do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In view of God's mercy, be transformed. And so, so the idea of being transformed, not conformed to the image, which is the idea of, of a stagnant image, but being transformed is this process that changes you into something. It says, in view of God's mercy. Uh, the, the, uh, the original language there is pretty interesting because it's a verb when it says, in view of God's mercy. It could literally mean, by viewing God's mercy. That is, if seeing God, keeping your eyes on him, it's actually the thing that empowers you into this life of transformation. And so in times of disorientation, we, we, we see Jesus we follow Jesus, we remember those things, and then uh, we can remember what Jesus said. He said, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. A rested soul sounds really nice, doesn't it? Like, that sounds really nice. Uh, the, the word picture there, when Jesus said to take my yoke upon you, uh, whenever they would plow a field, there would be two oxen uh, there. And so when he says, take my yoke upon you, it's the picture of taking on the other side of the yoke that so whenever they had a new ox come, they would put it uh, on the same yoke as an experienced ox. 
who knew the lay of the land, who knew the right way to go to look out for that big stone that maybe the, the farmer doesn't see or whatever. And so the word picture, when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, it's us standing beside Jesus with his yoke on our, on our backs. And so when you look through the Gospels, you look through the way that Jesus lived, the way that he grew spiritually and sought spiritual growth. You know, he talked about fasting. He talked about praying. He had rhythms of engagement where he would go and he would teach and he would pray with people and he would heal people and he would, you know, eat with people and he would do all those things. He would wash people's feet. And then he had time of disengagement where he would get away and he would practice silence and solitude and prayer on top of a mountain and fasting for 40 days and things like that. And so for us, when we're looking at how do we become more like Jesus, how do we orient our lives completely around Jesus, for 2,000 years, like I said, and even before that, rich, steeped richly in the, in the Old Testament, um, there, is, there are rhythms and patterns of life, the spiritual disciplines, you know, the practices, the, the things like that, where, where we do those things, not as, a, not as the end, but the means to an end. You know, like you don't like pack the van up to go on vacation and get in it, crank it up and think, we did it. We're there, right? That's not how it works. Like, like doing the things themselves, doing, you know, praying, studying scripture, memorizing scripture, fasting, you know, praying together, growing in community, all, all of those, you know, whatever you call them, they're not the means to an end. Just because you do them doesn't make you more like Jesus. They're just a vehicle that's been given to us to go on the journey to become more like Jesus. And so I, I just want to kind of um, encourage you, you know, if you're in that time, if you're in a season, you know, your plat- whatever kind of word image you have for following Jesus you grew up with, you're, you're plateaued, you feel stuck, you're in a season of dryness, what, you know, maybe disorientation feels right, like it's kind of that spiritual dizziness, where are we? Uh, let me just encourage you to, to, to uh, do some study. I'd, I've got some resources I'd love to help you out if you're interested on, on the spiritual disciplines, on, on, on how to develop a prayer life. Because like I said, years, a few years ago, um, even in pastoral ministry, I just kind of thought there were people who were good at praying, and then there's us, the rest of us, and I wasn't one of those people. Um, until I started learning about some of, the, some of these things. And, and so um, when it says at the end of the psalm, it says, peace be on Israel. I, I, just, I just want to kind of call us into a time and, and encourage you, all of us individually and as a church, into a time of peace. Uh, because peace comes only as we love God the way we're supposed to, and then we love others the way God does. That's the only way to have peace with God and peace with other people. And so the spiritual disciplines, they help us do that. And the, the, the most helpful one that I learned this was kind of, for me, the starting point. Maybe this, this isn't for you, and, and I'm not, I don't want to say that I'm you know, a spiritual guru or anything like that, and this isn't going to turn you into one. Most of you know me. You're like, no, duh, Matt. We know you at this point. Um, but the most helpful one for me, all right, to kind of kickstart um, and, and help me in, in my journey following Jesus is the idea. It's, called a, it's been called for hundreds of years a daily office. And, but basically what it means is, uh, if you look throughout the Bible, and even in the, the New Testament, you know, Jesus and the disciples, uh, they had set times of prayer every day that they would do. Like in Acts, you have stories of the, um, the apostles and the disciples going to the temple for afternoon prayer, for morning prayer, or something like that. And so typically it was like 6 a.m., sometime around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then in the evening. Uh, every day they, they would pray. And that's what Jesus would have done. Jesus being grown up as a, as a faithful Jew uh, in the first century, he would have had those times of prayer that he prayed every day. And so for me, I started, it took a lot of pressure off me because I felt like in order to have a good prayer life, I had to wake up at like 4 a.m. and pray for like two hours every day. 
And if I didn't do that, then it was just like, well, I'll try again later, I guess. <laughs> you know, and I just kind of felt like, like swinging a miss. Maybe, you know, maybe next time. Um, but having those set times of prayer throughout the day, it gave, me, um, it gave me space and it gave me a little bit of freedom to just think like, okay, God, you're actually present now. Not just in my room, you know, or in my chair at my kitchen table or whatever. But you're present right here with me. So I, I literally have timers on my phone multiple times through the day, and I use an app called the Daily Prayer app. It updates four times a day, and I'll just, most of the time, just read those prayers, especially in the morning. Like, I don't know if you're like me, I grew up with the idea of a quiet time. I'm not against a quiet time, but like trying to talk in the morning is just hard, you know? Like, I'm supposed to have a deep conversation with Jesus right now. Like, I'm just trying to drink some coffee and tie my shoes, you know? Like how, and some people are better at morning time, but I found for me, and so, like I said, I just want to, I'm just going to kind of say how this has helped me, and do what you will. I'm not you know, um, but I found for me the, the morning, morning time prayer, uh, typically I, I pray best if I read a psalm out loud to God, pray it to God, and then just take five or ten minutes just to sit there and just kind of whatever comes to mind, give it to Jesus. That's, I mean, and, 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 and then it's just asking, because I, almost immediately I start thinking about what I have to do on that day, right? Even if I don't look at my calendar or my phone or anything, like I'm just thinking of like, oh, I got to do this. And so my morning time prayer, it's Short, and it's just asking God to be present. That's it. It's just ask God, I got, I got this meeting, be present. Or, hey, I know Anna's at work today, God, be present with her. Hey, the girls are going to daycare. Jesus, please be with them. I mean, it's just, it's just asking God to be present. The afternoon prayer, by, by the time after lunch rolls around, I've had emails and texts and phone calls and whatever, and my mind is just kind of flooded, and my heart's just kind of full of, of just people's names and faces. And so I found for me, the, the afternoon prayer time has become prayer time of intercession where I just ask God to be with other people. God, I've heard this today. Do that. You know, that's when I got my little, my little, you know, prayer list and I'm writing it out in, you know, five, ten minutes. But just recognizing God's presence, talking him through the day. And then for me, my, my time of prayer in the evenings has been um, what you call, like if you grew up uh, in the little more charismatic vein, you'll be more familiar with this term. Uh, but the turn, like I found my evening time a lot of times like prayer of contending, like, hey God, you said this, but like here's the world that I live in. If you don't do something, it's not going to happen, right? Or even for me personally, hey God, you said, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they're going to see God. I'm doing my best here, <laughs> you know. Like I, you got it. Like it's con- like holding God to the promises He gave. Like God, you said you would do it. So I, I mean, I, I that's all I got. You, you know, like, you said that you're near to the brokenhearted. God, my heart's just broken right now. But, but having those set times throughout the day instead of, like I said, trying to have one big good prayer time. Maybe the one big good prayer time works for you. Great. Um, but there's tons of spiritual disciplines, tons of practices that you can do. And like I said, they're, they're a means to an end. On this journey following Jesus, they're the vehicle, right? They're the car. Uh, the journey is with Jesus, and it's, and it's ultimately to become more like him. And so today, as, as we close, I, w- I want to kind of challenge us uh, as a church. Two things. One thing is uh, this week, uh, you know, the disciplines a lot of times, too, can become very uh, introspective and private, and they were never made to be that way. You know, even if you, if you read, uh, you know, stuff from other Christians around the world, they don't think that way. I remember being in Cape Verde a few years ago on a mission trip, and uh, the missionary that was with us, Sergey, you know, like, like it, grown up as a good kid in youth group, anytime you're on a trip, 
with the church, you know, you wake up and you go alone by yourself to do your quiet time, right? And then you come back together later. So I like get off and I'm, and I'm walking down to, uh, to do my quiet time and Serge is just kind of with me. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I tell him, he's like, okay, great, I'll come with you. And I was like, well, it's my quiet time. And he's like, yeah, I'll come. And I was like, well, uh, well, I normally do this by myself. And he goes, the Bible said it's not good for man to be alone, so I'll pray with you. And I was like, that makes so much more sense, right? Like, because we're supposed to grow as a family of believers. And so all that to say, this week, what I think it'd be neat to do, uh, Fred and I were talking this week, and um, I think it'd be neat if, if this week, just to encourage us as a, as a church to throughout the day recognize God's presence and pray. Uh, what if we all set a timer for like 1.15 in the afternoon? Like like 1.15 in the afternoon, whatever you're doing, whether you're at work or you're at home or you're at school or whatever, just time and I'm talking like even a, a 30-second prayer of just, God, please be with me today. And that's it. Like what a, like what a, and then you knew at 1.15 your phone dings, and you know that there's, whatever, 100 people praying with you, you know? And I mean, and, and we do this together. We, and, and maybe for, for a lot of us, this is just like a fire, the fire starter we need. I mean, we can't even remember the last time we intentionally talked to God. Uh, so, so let's do it. Everybody got their phones? Yes, I know we do. One fifteen today. One fifteen every day for the next week. Set a reminder, and let's just pray. If you need some, if you need some help, uh, I'd love to share that that daily prayer app with you. And and then let me say this: if you're a family and you got little ones, and you're like, okay, this sounds great, but I've got like tiny humans living in my house that don't let me do anything. Um, let, me, let me tell you about this book. It's called Habits of the Household by a guy, a guy named uh, Justin something early. And um, I think Carol had, a co- had one copy of it. You can look at it at the ch- kids' check-in area downstairs. Um, he's got, he's, a, he's a, a lawyer at a big firm in D.C. He wrote a book called The Common Rule that's incredible about just kind of organizing and prioritizing your life around rhythms of grace with Jesus. Um, and then he wrote this one because he's got four boys all under the age of seven in his home. And so he wrote, hey, how do you like figure out how to follow Jesus and do some of these practices with a family? And so it's super helpful. If you've got little ones in the home, look that book up um, and, and find it super great. Um, even has like just practical like bedtime routines to do, uh, teaching your kids and stuff like that. And then the last thing as a church, you can see we got the communion set up. You know, the journey of Jesus starts with Jesus. Uh, so if you, if you look up the stage theory, it's funny because it'll talk about uh, the three stages um, if you get into the deep weeds, and it'll talk about orientation, disorientation, new orientation. But it's funny because they call it the three stages of life, but it's actually got four. Uh, because the first one that, that it doesn't mention in the journey walking with Jesus, it's the starting. They call it awakening. So for all of us, uh, coming to know Jesus is the first step of the journey. And, and for all of us who know Jesus, coming and doing things like coming to church, uh, praying, taking the Lord's Supper, it's, it's a way to come back to Jesus and remind what he's done. You know, the Lord's Supper, it's a little bit directional since we're talking about the journey and signposts and stuff. Taking the Lord's Supper, taking communion, uh, it's, it's a time where we look back and we remember what Jesus did for us by dying for our sins and then raising from the grave. And it's a time to look up, uh, recognizing that, that Jesus, uh, Hebrews says that Jesus is in heaven as our ultimate final sacrifice. You know, we sang earlier, the lamb who takes away 
our sins. And then it's a time to look around, to look at each other. You know, by the blood of Jesus, we're all brought into this family. We're all called to do this together, to walk and grow in, in Christ-likeness and spiritual growth, maturity, whatever you want to call it. We're called to do it together. And then ultimately we look forward because we think about the day when Jesus comes and makes all things new and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. We hold a feast celebrating King Jesus coming and making all wrong things right ultimately. And so what we'll do in just a minute, uh, they're going to play some music. I'm, I'm going to pray for us. And then as you need to, as you think about what Jesus has done for us, how he's called us, uh, maybe right now is a good time just to, just to uh, do some internal thinking and processing and think, man, here, this is the season I'm in. I'm in a deep season of, of deep disorientation. I, man, I can't remember the last time God heard my prayer, or if he does, I don't know. And we, we'd love to pray for you, with you. Uh, our, our prayer ministry is in the back, or uh, we've got, you know, pastors, staff, elders would love to, to pray with you if you need to talk through some of this and pray through some of this. Or you can email us, prayer at fellowshipashville.com. We'd love to, to pray with you there. Um, but let me pray for us, and then as you need, come up, grab the elements, you can sit back down, and then I'll, I'll walk us through it. Father, thank you. Uh, ultimately for awakening our souls, for calling us to follow you. God, right now we're in this room, we're probably all across the board feeling close to you, feeling far from you, knowing that you're there but not feeling it. God, maybe we're in a time where, where this morning before we came to church, we woke up and thought, man, it, it's time for me to follow, to follow Jesus, to, to get back on the horse, to, to get back on the road, get back in the car, whatever it is. God, and come towards you, and, and we're finding our new orientation around you. Um, but Father, we know that ultimately this, this begins, this life of faith, this journey, this pilgrimage, this voyage that we're on uh, begins with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. And all along the road, we know Jesus is with us. So thank you for sending him. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing yourself, for making all things new, and calling us into a life of newness. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. covenant that you began, the covenant of grace and of love and mercy and new life. So Jesus, as we take this cup, I pray that you uh, meet us here today. Father, encourage us, call us into a deeper discipleship of you. In your name we pray, amen. And take the cup. Jesus, you said that your body was broken for us. We know that by your, by your wounds we've been healed. By your blood we've been made clean. Your body broken for us to make for yourself one body across generations around the globe and forevermore. In your name we pray, amen.